Welcome to the Principles and Practice Podcast. This is where we discuss biblical principles for life and learning. I'm your host, Heather Hall, and this is my co-host, Brian Hall. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Principles and Practice Podcast. And today I have my good friend, Brendan McMenamin, joining me. We're discussing why the body of Christ as a whole is struggling so much with having an impact on the American culture. Thanks for joining me again, Brenda. Oh, thank you for having me. This is always so much fun and it is a delight. Well, I enjoy it too. (laughs) Um, So we think we have a take on this that will help our listeners to understand the cause to effect of what we're facing as a nation when it comes to our nation's character. For all of the Christian churches, the Christian private schools, the Christian curricula, and Christian homeschools, we're facing the reality that the church hasn't been as impactful in the character of our nation as it has in our history as a nation has shown. Brenda, you have worked pretty closely with Dan Smithwick of Nehemiah Institute. What would you like to share with our audience about his peers' worldview test and research? You know, it's been really enlightening to work with him. And I've been put in a position locally where I work with pastors and I've been able to hear them share their parts where they see youth in their churches and their youth groups leaving the faith in their early 20s. And it's so painful to them. I mean, it's something they take seriously and they are crying out to the Lord to overcome that. But there seems to be quite a gap in seeing that that's happening and being able to pinpoint where we're losing our youth. Mm -hmm. And there's a total disconnect between losing our young people and letting the government schools educate our children. Mm -hmm. And so what Dan Smithwick does is he comes in with this PEERS test. So that's an acronym, P-E-E-R-S. It's a biblical worldview assessment And what it doesn't assess is whether we love Jesus, whether we're biblically literate, whether we're going to heaven, but it assesses if we're able to read the Bible and apply biblical principles to politics, education, economics, religion, and social issues. So what he's finding out is that when he tests biblical theologians, and most pastors, they do very well on the Pierce test. Then the congregation tests, sometimes still with the biblical worldview, but not as high as the pastors. And then he teaches the youth in the church, which basically comes from youth groups And 85% of the church's students are going to the public school. Mm. So that 85% is testing at an alarmingly secular worldview instead of a biblical worldview. But it gives us a place to see the problem. And then he shares history of how the Marxists came in from Germany and took over the education. And we know from our studies with FACE and the work that Verna Hall did, that it even goes 
further back than the early 1900s. It goes back into the early 1800s with Horace Mann when he began to take what was a very vibrant biblical worldview focused education that was really self-taught and it was in the homes and in the churches mainly and Horace Mann began to systemize it under the state and to get the state's money the schools couldn't teach from the Bible specifically. And that's documented in Verna Hall's book, The Christian History of the Constitution. So between Horace Mann and then Dewey and these Marxists, they took over the education system, began it uh, curriculum wise away from the Bible and then began to teach students. They began to form their own teacher colleges And from that point on, we've gotten farther and farther away from the content and the methodology that made our nation so God-honoring and so great. And it's just been a steady decline. Mm -hmm. And they've been very intentional and active in seeing this through even today with the decline in education. Yes. So we need to be counter to that in our efforts to restore our American heritage um, in education through education. But it's not just in the homeschools, right? Because, I mean, pastors can reach out to their congregations by teaching this. And um, so can a lot of the Christian private schools. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a delightful process, isn't it? I mean, you and I are in the midst of renewing our minds and learning from a biblical worldview, the content and the methodology. And I love it because I just get so in awe of God. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. It increases my faith and it, and it draws me closer to him and it helps me to see just his sovereignty, his sovereignty in all things. Yes. Yes. And, and it, and like you said, when it builds our faith, that's one of the things that I think is missing from the education system now that will go a far distance in restoring. Um, well, Psalm 78 says to teach the mighty deeds of God to the next generation. So they have faith in God and hope to obey his commands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if there was any time that our children needed that, it's now. So just learning the mighty deeds of God is so amazing and faith building. Amen. Now, I think that people would argue that they are giving a biblical worldview education with the Christian curriculum that they're using or um, that the private school is using that they're sending their children to. But what I think we see is you know, a lot of people acknowledge they're aware that in the government schools, children are taught what to think, not how to think. And I think the challenge that we're facing when we consider a biblical worldview curriculum is that the biblical worldview is an undercurrent. And so yeah. in a sense, children are also being taught in a Christian school or maybe even in a church or homeschool what to think about a biblical worldview versus how to think and reason biblically so that they make it a conviction of their own. They've thought it through and they own it. It becomes a part of them. Would you agree with that? I absolutely would. And I think um, 
to make that more clear for our listeners, in our present school system, we have the three R's. And this is just seeped into the Christian ones that have the best intention. They're uh, sometimes teaching the right content, but mm-hmm. they're using what we call the three R's, which aren't even three R's, right? Or reading, writing, and arithmetic. <laughs> There's yeah. only one R there. <laughs> Um, But it's based on reading and then taking short answer type tests. So you're basically reading exactly what they want us to read. And then you're, in a sense, regurgitating it through short answer, true, false, fill in the blank, multiple Mm -hmm. choice, where there's no reasoning there. Mm -hmm. There's just simple. You're reading it and you're telling them what you think they want to know. And that is not challenging them. It's not giving them the tools that they need to learn themselves. And Rosalie Slater is the one who developed the four R's based on studying the founding fathers and how they learned. And so that is research, reasoning, relating, and then recording. And it is life-changing. And in that change. Some people say, oh, this is too hard. And you know, it's really not hard, especially as a teacher. I I taught my four from kindergarten all the way up through high school. And then the younger two, I went to uh, two years of an online Christian university with them. And so that was fascinating. But when you're, you're literally giving them the tools to learn themselves and teach themselves. And it's quite phenomenal. It really is. And I have um, the Guide to American Christian Education by James B. Rose in front of me. And I'll just cover the seven distinctions of the principal approach education to hopefully expand on what you were just saying about the four R's. He -hmm. said that the principal approach is distinguished from other approaches to education in at least seven ways. It demonstrates that the history of Christianity and the history of America and her form of government cannot and should not be separated. It restores our heritage of Christian scholarship and biblical reasoning and writing, which were characteristic of the Founding Fathers' generation. It brings both the student and the subjects of the curriculum into harmony with and in subjection to biblical truths. It produces a unity of spirit and principle with a diversity of teachers and subjects without denying the identity or individuality of either the subjects or the teacher in the home or school. It helps identify the vocabulary and rudiments of a subject, both biblically and historically, and recovers the biblical origin and purpose of a subject in every grade level of education. It unifies the biblical principles of a subject with its correlative ideas and facts. And lastly, it enables both parent and teacher to produce the Christian character and scholarship necessary to support a Christian republic, to separate from progressive and secular methods, and avoid producing a character ripe for governmental socialism and religious modernism. And I think that that's one of the primary challenges is that pastors, they want to see their congregation grow and, and influence the culture for Christ. And so do parents. They want their children to be able to walk in the precepts of God and to apply the biblical principles to their lives. In order to do that, there, there can't be any shortcuts. 
Yeah. And I, th I think it's so tempting and so easy to give into the temptation of going with what's easiest, the fill in the blanks, the check marks, or the what's really popular now is the unschooling idea or free range schooling idea. Um, but our children need us to follow through with diligence and showing them how to dig out these principles for themselves and know how to apply them to life. Yeah, that's so good. And you know what really brought that alive to me is reading autobiographies and um, articles in different um, historical documents where I read from Nathaniel Bowditch, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and John Quincy Adams, where they mention writing in a notebook. Mm -hmm. So they literally used that process of learning on their own and recording it in a notebook. It is so fascinating. And one of the uh, resources that I have really benefited from is R.C. Sproul Jr.'s When You Rise Up. And in this, he talks about the three different elements of faith and he gives the Latin which I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna butcher it by trying to pronounce it. <laughs> but the first one he talks about is the capacity to understand what we're to believe. And the next one is affirming our conviction that the message is true. And then the third element is wherein we place our trust in what we affirm to be true. And so he uses an example of a chair where you can look at a chair and be told that's a chair. And then you can assent to that and say, yes, that's a chair. But the highest level of faith is sitting in the chair. So you're, you're actually living and walking out your faith. And it seems like our faith in the modern day Christianity is absolutely an assent, but there's not much teaching on how to actually take biblical principles and walk them out in every area of our lives. And that's where our victory is. And so <laughs> we really need to pray that God burst that in us and take the time to encourage people to really have faith in God, to walk out these biblical principles, whether it's finance, whether it's education, um, all the different areas of life, um, government, to really get victory and to, to glorify the Lord again. I agree. And so that's true. There's the challenge for the adults, too, because we're talking about raising up the next generation when we're talking about the current students that we have now. But a, a lot of us adults haven't learned these biblical principles that have been taught historically you know, like to our forefathers and our founding fathers for what our first 200 years as a nation so that they could live them out. And we have to, in order to restore our republic, in order to be able to turn America back around, we have to learn what it is that God counts as sins that we would not count as sins so that we can repent from them as a nation. And that can be tough. It's documented for a reason for us when when it shows how God's people have helped to take care of God's people. And it's shown how God has taken care of directly, you know, like John who was in the wilderness and he provided the water and the food 
for John. Yes. <laughs> um, maybe it wasn't his choice meal <laughs> to have mm-hmm. locusts and honey, or it shows that God still cares and provides for his people, no matter what the circumstances are, even if it's not in the way that we think we would like it to look. That's so good. And I know homes, the, just the homeschooling walk for me helped me learn that because when you're paying taxes for everybody else's schooling, but then you're paying for your own curriculum for each one of your children, the homeschooling walk for me was a real refining and faith building process toward that end where I had to learn how amazingly God provides (laughs) when everything in the natural looked like we weren't going to make it. And we'd gather the children, we sit down at the table and we'd pray in the next week's food um, so we saw so many miracles and God's blessing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and through that process, I learned to not go by what was free or convenient, but to seek God for each one of my children and then realize that I'm simply a steward. He's got a purpose for each one of our children and he will bring it to pass. Amen. With signs and wonders, it's so amazing to watch that process, isn't it? It really is. And the ability to share our testimony to others helps them to have faith too, because I've learned that if we don't keep God in his position as sovereign and trust him to care and provide for us, then we rob ourselves of the ability to have him care for us and reveal his purposes to us in those winter seasons. We were just reading a quote, I forget who it's from, and it's in our spelling curriculum, Spell to Write and Read, that in parts of the world where fruit trees grow, they don't produce fruit because they don't go through a winter. And I thought, wow, that's so important for us to actually be able to go through those seasons of winter in our lives so that God can produce fruit in our character. Um, And it all comes down to choice for us, which is not always easy. We all know that. But Mm -hmm. if we also rob ourselves of the ability to share God's testimony because we're not turning to him, we're not magnifying him, we're magnifying the state by turning to the state, then it robs the ability of sharing our testimony with other people that will help bring them to Christ to help them lean on the Father for themselves for their care and provision. And that's what he wants more than anything. He wants to take care of us. He wants to show his glory. Um, It's just beautiful. It is Mm -hmm. a beautiful faith building walk when you really decide, I am going to believe God. I'm going to take him at his word and then signs and wonders (laughs) start flowing. And, you know, there's there's one more quote I'd like to share. I found this in the 1599 Geneva Bible. And I... I love this Bible because the notes are so enlightening. So the beginning of this talks about the process of the Geneva Bible. And we know that King James took out these notes when he printed the Geneva Bible and named it King James because he didn't want the Ecclesia to know the authority that they had in Christ. So it's really amazing to to meditate on the notes as much as the scripture themselves 
but it ends, this is the last paragraph in this dedication to the Lord. It says, merciful Lord, we ask you to once again grant repentance, reformation, and revival in your church for the advancement of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Now, we've got a group that's reforming education and civil government in our community here, and we were really remarking on how incredible it is that he they mentioned repentance, then reformation, then revival. Because mm -hmm. I always thought you'd have revival, then you'd have repent, uh, uh, then you'd have reformation. But I think we've all been repenting. It's like the Holy Spirit really, when we had that um, return with all those pastors praying, um, it was just phenomenal. And then reformation is an intentional decision to go to the Lord and reform our ways, let him renew our mind by reading the word. And as we do that, we'll have revival. Mm -hmm. And I never mm -hmm. saw it in that order before. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I have not read the notes in the Geneva Bible before. I didn't know that that was there. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and we see that. We see that belief with the pilgrims, right? Yes. They held to that completely when you study the Protestant Reformation and when you study about their trials that they faced on the way over here and then when they got here. And um, I think that we also see in their example of character that they understood that what they had been practicing at first was socialism, right? With the, um, what they call it, the common... The storehouse. The yeah. storehouse. Thank you. Yeah. With yes. the merchants that sent them over, they kind of made, changed the deal on them and made them live communally. Yes. Yes. And then they ended up repenting from that. And then they went through personal individual reform, which they recognized that that had to happen in the individual first. Yes. And then their community was impacted better. It was magnifying God in what they did. And he blessed their bounty with their gardening that they did yes. or whatever it was that they did to take care of their families. Um, so that's another historical example, I think, of... Mm -hmm evidence of the fruit of this kind of faith that is in our nation historically he's so, so good he is so good he is he is so faithful and in one of our previous podcasts i looked up the word faithful as a keyword from a bible verse that we were talking about and one of the definitions of that is confidence and then the more i meditated on that i thought about how when we look at god's faithfulness to us it gives us confidence that we can count on him. Mm. So yes. now, now in scholarship, when we're talking about biblical scholarship in raising our children, it's more than just doing a Bible study or devotional, right? How would you personally describe the difference between just opening up your Bible and then reading it the way that we tend to just read it as Christians, just read it straight through and maybe discuss it a bit um, or doing a devotional versus actually getting into the word in each subject and then bringing it under the subjection to the Bible. I, well, number one, I think we need to do both. You know, you need to, you need to read it and be familiar with it in that, you know, Genesis to revelation kind of uh, format, but mm -hmm in 
modeling for our children that you can start each subject in the word lays a foundation in them to take that same type scholarship when they go into their marriage and their finances and raising their children. And so you're putting into them that knowledge and understanding and respect of the, the infallibility of the word of God and the dependability where it really can be the foundation for everything that we do because you're living it in front of them. Mm -hmm. I agree. And then giving them those tools, the, the four R's are a tool yeah. for them. And then they can go in and they can understand better how to apply those principles to the areas that you said Dan Smith Wicks biblical worldview test covers in politics, education, economics, religion, and social issues. Those five categories cover it all. <laughs> yes. And you know what is a super good example in our American history is Thomas, um, Reverend Thomas Hooker was mm -hmm. originally, I believe it was Massachusetts. And he was with a group of pastors that he respected, but they really thought that an eldership ruling the church was the best way because they thought that only certain people could understand the governmental principles. Reverend Thomas Hooker really thought that should be more a congregational form of government. So he preached a sermon. I forget the dates. I'm pretty sure it was 1638 from Exodus 18, 21. So that's Moses' advice, uh, Jethro's advice to Moses to raise up leadership, the men that are able, that fear God, that will not take a bribe. And what was the other one? Fear God. Um, and let them be rulers over the hundreds, fifties, and ten, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So he taught that scripture and then he actually wrote the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut, which was the first state constitution based on the biblical principles of self and civil government from the word of God. Yeah. So and it, I mean, how powerful is a sermon <laughs> when you think about it? A lot of people just don't make the connection or a lot of pastors aren't sure how to go there because I think they're not they're not taught about the history of pastors in our nation and how their sermons really did impact our nation for Christ and um, the development of the form of Christian government that we do have. And so, wow, I mean, just to think about how things could turn around if pastors stood up and even read some of those sermons, if they're, if they're not sure how to study it out and take it in a direction on their own, you know, yes. it would be amazing. Well, that is what Dan is helping pastors do. So I would highly recommend that anyone that has a concern for pastors and you've been praying for them and you want to come alongside them to go to nehemiahinstitute.com and connect with Dan and see if he'll come. And what he's doing with me in Florida, granted, he is a Floridian, so I don't know how much he can do this across the nation, but I'm pulling together about a dozen pastors at a time and having him come in and just share what he knows and the peers test. And it's amazing to see him come alongside these pastors and they can ask him questions and uh, 
all they need really is to be pointed in a direction because their heart is already there. It's just that we've been taught from humanistic principles for generations now. So we've lost the model. And once that connection's made, it's really easy to pick up and run in the right direction. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting to see God do this. It is exciting. Thanks so much for sharing your testimony on what he's doing in Florida. It's encouraging. Yes, God is good. <laughs> All right, Brenda. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I really hope that it blesses a lot of people out there and that they're encouraged to contact Dan Smithwick again with Nehemiah Institute. And thank you so much for all that you're doing. This is exciting. Thank you so much for having me on, Heather. Talk with you later. God bless you. God bless you. As always, if you're looking for additional resources or support, you can visit our website at principalacademy.com, check out our shop and our blog, and you can also find us on Facebook at Christian Homeschooling with Bible Principles, also on Instagram under Principal Academy. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Well, this is Heather Hall. And this is Brian Hall. For Christ and His Glory.